So do you believe in life after death? Trent Griffith says that's something the Bible teaches clearly, and it's the foundation of our faith. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives Christians a transcendent hope over the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that forms the foundation for our own confidence in our own resurrection. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So do you know what's happening in about a week? There's a day that's set aside. Some people love it. Others, they're cynical about it. The cynical ones, they say it was a day invented by the makers of greeting cards. Can you guess? That's right. It's Valentine's Day next weekend. And no matter how you feel about it, it's intended to be a day for celebrating love and romance. Did you know that in the New Testament, some people asked Jesus about love and romance as well? It's true. Pastor Trent explains. Let's listen in. As we open our Bibles this morning, we're going to be learning about some of the things that need to be constructed within our own hearts as it relates to our unbelief. Today, we're going to be talking about the divine deconstruction of our excuses for unbelief. So let's just dive here into the scripture and we're going to learn about these three excuses that uh, uh, so often my own heart uses uh, for not believing uh, the things that I know deep down on the inside are true. Let's begin reading here in Luke chapter 20 in verse 27. It says, there came to him, there came to Jesus. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus' life. He's entered into Jerusalem. In just a few days, he's going to go to the cross, sacrifice himself for the sin of people like you and me. And so before he goes, he has one final argument with a group of people that are known as the Sadducees. We're going to define them in just a minute. There came to him some Sadducees who deny there is a resurrection. Now, just a little explanation about who the Sadducees were. They were the, they were the ruling religious party among the Jews. They were the richest. They were the most powerful. And yet they had the least amount of faith. They had the most doubts. Let me tell you something about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in life after death. They denied there is a resurrection. They didn't believe in anything spiritual. They only believed in the here and now, only the natural, only the tangible. They didn't believe in angels. And so they certainly didn't believe when Jesus was teaching about heaven and hell, about the afterlife. Now, let me just say to you, we are all natural born Sadducees. There is something in our heart that resists the fact that I will be held accountable for the decisions that I make in this life. There are doubts about the afterlife. There's a little Sadducee in me. Preachers love to tell the story that the reason that the Sadducees were so sad, you see, is because they didn't believe in the afterlife. So it goes on and says in verse 28, they asked Jesus a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Now, just get in your mind that there's a little afterlife bachelorette thing going on here in their mind. They're telling this little story, making up a mythical story about the afterlife 
that they don't believe in. And they're trying to catch Jesus um, as a trap. He says, the first brother took a wife and died without children. The second and the third took her and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died in the resurrection that they don't believe in. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife here on earth, verse 34, and Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Um, have you had that opportunity? You're a married person. Do you remember the wedding day? Do you remember when you were given in marriage? Uh, maybe you're a single person. You're looking forward to the day. Then you're going to marry and be given in heaven. Jesus acknowledges that that is a good thing. He says... However, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of gods, being sons of the resurrection, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but he is God of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. They finally learned you couldn't trick Jesus. And so this very intricate story, how do we unpack all of that? Just understand this. The Sadducees' main problem is that they didn't believe in an afterlife. And that's the first point of our message here this morning. The first excuse that we use for unbelief is doubts about eternity. Sounds like this. There is no afterlife. This world is all there is. I mean, just imagine if there was no heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine there's no hell above us, only sky. Imagine all the people all living for people today. Woohoo, woohoo, hoo. For today. I, I hope you're laughing. I'm trying to make you laugh here this morning because that is really laughable. John Lennon would try to convince us there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no afterlife and you should just live for the moment. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? How's it working out in the world since that song became one of the most popular songs and really the worldview of the prevailing age? Well, that's the worldview of the natural born skeptic that lives inside of me, the Sadducee that lives inside of me would like to try to invent a world where I'm not gonna be held accountable after I live. And yet that's not what Jesus teaches. As a matter of fact, throughout the unfolding story of the Scripture, the Bible teaches us everyone who has ever lived will always live somewhere. Everyone who lives will die. The Scripture teaches us that I have an appointment with death. I, I'm going to keep that appointment. Are you late for appointments? You're, you're going to be on time for that one. You have an appointment with death. Everyone who lives will always live. Everyone who lives will die. And this, everyone who dies will live again. 
This is what theologians call the general resurrection. Depending on your relationship with Jesus, you will either be resurrected to eternal life or you will be resurrected to eternal judgment. That's what Jesus taught in John chapter 5. It says this in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. People in tombs who can hear. That's called a resurrection. Verse 29 says, And not only will they hear, they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now let me just be honest here for a second. Do you find that hard to believe? If you say, no, that's easy to believe, I don't think you're being intellectually honest. Because it is hard to believe in the walking dead. And yet, why do we have TV series created about zombies who were once dead and now live? Do you think that it might be something hardwired into the soul of every person that God created that there really is life after death? If you say, I've never had a doubt that there is an afterlife, I don't think you're being intellectually honest. And if you say, I don't have this nagging curiosity about life after death, I don't think you're being intellectually honest either. And so how do we navigate our way through these things? This question was designed to, to trip Jesus up. How you answer the question, is there life after death, determines everything about how you live. Do you understand how you live is determined by whether or not you believe you will live after you die? The, the secret to knowing how to live is knowing how long you will live. And I happen to know how long you will live. You will live forever. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to contemplate. Your state of mind in seasons of life-threatening circumstances with life-threatening diseases on the loose in the world, your state of mind during those times will be determined by how firmly you believe in life after death. If you have no confidence that you have eternal life in Jesus, you will cling to this life with a death grip. No pun intended. But if you have assurance of eternal life, you will receive and enjoy this life as a good gift of God and all the things that God gives, you will hold them loosely, ready to exchange them for an upgrade on the other side of death. Things like marriage, sex, children, beauty, health. They're all previews of coming attractions that those of us who are in Christ will receive in the afterlife. Listen, if you think this world is, is kind of broken and fallen, you're kind of like dissatisfied with what's going on in the world, here's what you need to know. For those who have eternal life, this world is the closest thing you will ever experience to hell. But for those who do not have eternal life, this world is as close 
as you will ever experience to heaven. We have a choice about whether or not we will be resurrected to life or resurrected to judgment. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation for all Christian hope in the world. Remember the context. Jesus is about to die and be resurrected within a week of this story. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives Christians a transcendent hope over the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that forms the foundation for our own confidence in our own resurrection. Think about it. Without a rock-solid faith in eternal life, there is no hope in the midst of suffering. Without a rock-solid belief in eternal life, there's no anticipation of justice for those who have been hurt by sin and sinners in this world. Without a rock-solid faith in eternal life, there is no expectation of being reunited with loved ones who have died and gone to heaven before us. There's no reward awaiting those who live a life of obedience to God. There's no reason for confidence in anything the Bible teaches us about God. There's no foundation for right and wrong. There's no power in preaching. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no purpose for faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied if there is no afterlife. And if there is no eternal life, there is nothing more important to you than romance. You're like, where did that come from? It came right from this story. The question that the Sadducees devised was about romance and marriage. Notice the question was, in the resurrection that they don't believe in, whose wife will she be? I mean, think about the, the possible answers to that question. Well, if she goes, remember, she, she had seven different husbands and they kept dying. I don't know if she had some kind of terminal illness or something that kept infecting the husbands, but they kept dying. She kept living. She was a widow seven times over. And the question was, in heaven, whose wife will she be? Which one of the seven? I mean, you could think about it like, well, if she went to heaven, maybe she would be the wife of the best husband. If she went to hell, maybe she would be the wife of the worst husband. Or maybe she would just kind of be one-seventh the wife of all seven. But wouldn't that make her a polygamist? And you can't be a polygamist in heaven. So this is, this is a theologically deep question that she's asking here. Now, understand that God commands us to make much of marriage. The culture that we live in makes too little of marriage, and it makes too much of romance. Now, that's not an excuse for there not being romance in your marriage. I've been convicted all week as I've been studying this. It's like, I'm not quite sure that I'm putting enough romance in my marriage. Lord, help me do that. But inside of our hearts, we want something that marriage can't quite provide here on earth. There's a lot of people that 
wants something more than dating, but something less than marriage because marriage involves commitment. And I'm not quite sure I'm ready for the lifelong commitment of marriage. And so we end up pretending to be married and we want the benefits of marriage without all of the commitments of marriage. And listen, you should never give yourself to someone who will not give their whole life to you in a lifelong lifetime commitment of marriage. That's what the Bible tells us to do, make much of marriage. But God also commands us, don't make too much of marriage. You should make it your aspiration to get married if you're a single person. If you're a married person, you should make it your aspiration to stay married. And let me say a word to those of you who are single. I know I'm talking to so many people that the number one prayer request on your list is, Lord, I would like to be married. Lord, would you send a mate? And for whatever reason, God hasn't sent you that mate. That's a good God-given aspiration. As much as possible, you should pursue that while at the same time yielding the right to be married to the Lord. And I want to tell you right now that what is happening at this very moment, this live stream, this church, everything that we're doing would not be possible without single people I am thinking of right now that are pulling switches and playing instruments and using their God-given gifts making themselves available to the Lord to build up the bride of Christ. And so if you're a single person, use your availability to serve the bride of Christ while you are waiting on the Lord to send you your own. And I'm so grateful for people that are doing that right now. So yes, make much of marriage, but don't make too much of marriage. Um, Marriage is important, but marriage is not ultimate. What Jesus is teaching us in this passage is there is no husband and no wife on the planet that can meet your deepest desires because your deepest desires can only be met in eternity. Don't look to marriage to do something God never designed it to do. Otherwise, you turn marriage into an idol. And that apparently is what the Sadducees did because they didn't have anything else to live for than the immediacy of romance and marriage. And our culture has done the same thing. Marriage is temporary. Marriage is a temporary imperfect picture of the eternal covenant love relationship that Jesus has with his people. In heaven, in eternity, marriage will not be necessary. Now, I know right now you're sitting here, wait, did you say my marriage is not important? Didn't say that. Marriage is important. Marriage is not ultimate. In the early days of my marriage, as Andrea and I saw this text here, I I remember in the early days, Andrea several times saying to me, you know, if I'm not going to be married to you when we get to heaven, I'm not quite sure I want to go. She doesn't say that anymore. (laughs) And the reason is because she has a more accurate view of the person she married. 
with all of the flaws and the imperfections, she realizes there's got to be something better than this. She's got a more accurate view of me and she's got a more accurate view of heaven. Understand that in heaven, we will all get the covenant love relationship that we've always desired. Nobody really desires to be married. What we all desire to be is cherished. And that cherishing is God-given. And you will never find the fulfillment of that desire on this side of the grave. But for those of us who have the promise of eternal life, we have hope that one day all of our desires to be loved and cherished and nurtured and protected will be provided for us in the afterlife. The question was asked here very simply, whose wife will she be? That's the test question. How did Jesus answer that? Now, he doesn't directly give the answer, but do you know the the answer that's implied? Whose wife will she be? Jesus answered, mine. Because Jesus is the bridegroom that is in a covenant love relationship with all those who believe. We read about it in the last few pages of our Bibles in Revelation chapter 19. It's the image of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Notice what it says. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. When do you do that? You do that on this side of the grave. That's the process of making ourselves ready for the afterlife. In verse 8, it says, It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Scripture tells us in this passage that all live to God. All live toward God. And so if you don't have anything to live for on the other side of the grave, here's what you will do. You'll attempt to avoid death and disease at all cost. If you don't have hope and confidence of eternal life on the other side of the grave, healthcare will become your idol. Your doctor and hospital and medication and Medicare will become a substitute savior so that you run to them instead of Jesus for the things that you really need. If you don't have hope on the other side of the grave, every microorganism becomes a threat. Every virus becomes a paralyzing fear and death becomes an insurmountable enemy. But for those of us that have eternal life through faith in Jesus, this life is precious, but it is not ultimate. Health and healthcare are gracious gifts from a good God. Disease is the inevitable consequence of living in a fallen world. And it shouldn't surprise us and it shouldn't paralyze us when we are infected by disease. Death is simply the defeated enemy of Christ. For those of us who have eternal life through faith in Jesus, the grave has lost its power. 
and death has lost its sting. Let me ask you, do you have confidence that if you died at this very second on the other side of your final breath, you would be forever cherished eternally in the presence of Jesus. You say, give me some of that. How do I get that? It's through faith. You repent of sin, which is the reason we die, and we receive by faith the forgiveness of sin. And until you put your faith in Jesus, the only promise you have on the other side of the grave is judgment. And so every day is an opportunity to overcome my doubt and trust and put my faith in Jesus. Jesus, friend of sinners, love me ere I knew him. Drew me with his cords of love, tightly bound me to the desire of every heart to be cherished forever and ever. That's Sovereign Grace with His Forever. Before that, we heard Pastor Trent Griffith from Gospel City Church. He'll finish this message next week right here on Resonate. If you'd like to review past Resonate programs, you can do that online by visiting mygospelcity.org resonate. That website, mygospelcity.org, is also where you can find more information about worshiping with us. We gather both in person in Granger, Indiana, 
as well as online. Again, the web address is mygospelcity.org. And if you follow us on Facebook, you know there's more great content available there as well. If you're not following us, just search for Gospel City Church. Well, if you're having trouble believing God could be a man, you're not alone. Many have struggled with that concept. And next week, Pastor Trent will help us deconstruct more excuses for our unbelief. I hope you'll join us then. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word and true belief would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.